This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 95.7 The Game's John Dickinson has been with the Warriors every day throughout the championship era. Half-court, the Warriors start to celebrate. The one-time darlings are now a dynasty. And now, he brings you the latest scoops on the back-to-back champs. He's looking good to go. And exclusive player interviews. What's up, Dub Nation? It's your boy, Stephen Curry. This is Warriors Weekly on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, John Dickinson. All right, joining me now on Warriors Weekly is Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas the radio play-by-play man, also the PA announcer for the Rockets home games at Toyota Center. And uh, a pleasure to be joined by Matt here uh, on Warriors Weekly, 95.7 The Game. Uh, Matt, really appreciate the time as always. And uh, I just got to ask you right off the jump, how surprised are you given the where things were on Friday with the Rockets heading to the Bay Area waiting for the Warriors? The Warriors hadn't even closed out the Clippers yet. Now here we are. Yeah. Uh, and it's a 2 nothing lead for Golden State as this series shifts to Houston. Well, I mean, I think it would be pretty obvious for me to say I was fairly optimistic the Rockets could get at least one out here. Uh, first and foremost, they had the extra time off as the, as the Warriors are playing the Clips. The Rockets had beaten the Warriors three out of four. The Rockets have won games in this building before, and, uh, you know, we had thought maybe there was a little vulnerability with the fact that L.A. was, you know, had won two games against Golden State, and so... Yeah, I would say it's a little discouraging. Uh, you know, all the turnovers that Golden State had in the first game and, you know, some off-shooting nights for the Rockets, and obviously the officials became such a huge storyline in that. And then yesterday, uh, you know, James leaves early. Rockets turn the ball over themselves. They shoot well, but frankly, just right place, right time for a lot of Golden State offensive rebounds and putbacks, and it's kind of a recipe why the Rockets are down 2 nothing right now. What surprised you the most about the way the first two games have played out from the Rockets' point of view? Because I, I, I think you assess it pretty well. I mean, it was different things in each game that wound up yeah. being costly for Houston. It's almost you know if they if they do the things well that they didn't do in game two, if they did the things in game one that they they did in game two, they would they would have won game one. If they did the things in game you know one that they did in game two, they would have maybe won that game. But but it, it wound up being the, the worst of all worlds for Houston. Well, as I told my audience today, if I would have told you the Rockets would shot better than forty percent from the floor, better than forty percent from three, if I had six different Rockets scoring in double figures, you'd have thought, oh, and by the way, Clint Capella got a double-double after what he did in game one or didn't do in game one. You'd have thought, okay, easily a Rockets game two victory. Uh, felt like to me that when you play a team like Golden State, who have very few flaws, if you give them a stretch of minutes, and last night it was game one, where you fell behind, you know, what, nine or ten very early on, it felt like the Rockets were just climbing up that hill the rest of the way. So, I would say you can't play five or six minutes of really bad basketball where you're turning the ball over and not making a shot. 
If you do that, even with Golden State showing a little bit of more vulnerability this postseason than they haven't passed, they're still going to take advantage of it, and I thought the uh, Warriors did so. A big part of this series for me is is playable players on both sides. And, and to this point, as you go up and down the Warriors' side of things, uh, they showed a sense of urgency putting Iguodala right into the starting lineup, playing Draymond Green at center. Uh, and you know, they're going to trust Kevon Looney. They're going to trust Sean Livingston as a sixth and a seventh. It's spot minutes for everybody else, Alfonso right. McKinney and, and a couple of others. But from the Rockets' side of things, and this became somewhat of a problem, especially after the Chris Paul injury uh, with Game 6 and Game 7. How many playable guys do the Rockets have? Because I'm looking up and down, and they're they're starting five, and maybe Austin Rivers, but that looks like it's about it. Nobody else is really playing well for Houston beyond that. Can, can Mike D'Antoni get away with six-plus the rest of the way? Well, I had thought this postseason was going to be different because Daniel House, who you guys know was in Warriors camp before the start of the season, has played really well for this team. But he did not have a good postseason against Utah. And uh, yesterday in the in the game where he allows Clay Thompson to get an offensive rebound and a mid-range Jimmy, I've never seen Mike so mad at a player. I mean, just calling him out. In fact, we were kind of teasing uh, on my show today. Can you give a technical foul? to berating your own player because Mike was really mad and Mike loves right. him. And that was the thing that was so disappointing is that Mike is a huge Clint Capella fan. Mike loves Daniel House. It's easy to love James and Chris because they're the greatest players you know, in their generation. But to get guys that you can trust to, to play important roles and to let you down uh, was, I think, a huge disappointment. That's the reason why when Daniel, uh, you know, that timeout was called, you didn't see him after that. Austin Rivers is on his deathbed two days ago and comes up and is productive. The backup five position, I think because of the Hampton five, does not allow for Reed and or Nene to get serious minutes. I think it moves P.J. Tucker to the five, and that's where the the trouble spot is because who becomes that you know swing forward if you know if Rivers is already on the floor backing up Chris or backing up James, then who do you go to next? I don't think you can go with Vermont Shumpert, who hasn't shot the ball well really as a rocket, and then if Daniel House is in the doghouse, so to speak, you got to have somebody step up. So I thought it was a very comfortable nine-man rotation, but at this point it just hasn't panned out that way, and I think they're going to have to figure out a way between now and Saturday to get somebody to, to be able to pick up some minutes because playing Chris and James 40-plus, even though, look, if the emotions are high and the energy is level is high, it's just not going to be able to work long-term, especially with a team that can throw so many offensive daggers at you like Golden State can. Do you think there's a belief, and we're talking with Matt Thomas here, John Dickinson, Warriors Weekly, 95-7 the game. Is there a belief on the Rockets' side of things that, that they can wear the Warriors down because the Warriors had to play the extra game and because the Warriors are not used to playing their main players as many minutes maybe compared to the Rockets? Once this thing starts on Saturday to go every other day, again, assuming the Rockets can win a couple to, to prevent it from from ending uh, over the weekend or ending back in the Bay Area next week in a Game 5? Well, I'm going to give you a really short answer to this. If you had asked me this, say, Saturday morning on your show, then I would have comfortably been able to give you the answer of, yeah, I can't wait to see how tired the Warriors are after playing 36 hours ago in Los Angeles. But uh, I don't think uh, stamina and energy and what's left in the tank is even conversation when you're down to nothing. I, I just don't think you could even possibly say, all right, we got them where you want them. I think the Rockets really want to get a split out of here. You hate to use that overly used, cliched use term that the playoffs don't start until a road team wins a game. I don't think the Rockets are thinking that. I think the Rockets are thinking 
we better win two in Houston, Texas over the next handful of days, or it's going to be a celebration on the Oracle Arena floor in Game 5, and I, I don't think they want that for sure. Well, and now it's the daunting task of the Warriors. Uh, for one twenty straight series, they've won a road game going back to 2013. Every series with Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, since those three have been in the fold, the Warriors have won at least one road game in every single playoff series. So if they do that again, that's exactly what the, the Rockets would be up against, uh, assuming they do it in Game 3 or Game 4. Thanks for bringing that up. Really happy to hear all these stats you continue to throw at me about how good they are. I know they've won road games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. What were you want me to say? Golden State's vulnerable. Golden State needs to be beat. I mean, I, I just I hope the next two games uh, can give us a different story because let's face it, you and I as NBA fans, this is a great on paper series. It had legendary matchups, and obviously the side of Golden State's way each of the last handful of years, but. Uh, is anybody really looking forward to the winner of this series playing either Golden or Denver or Portland? There's respect to them, but this is the de facto finals like it was last year. So, you know, I just hope it goes a lengthy run, and I hope the Rockets can regroup and, and you know, maybe show some nervous signs of Golden State. But if you're, if you're, if you're them, the Sunday victory was really sweet because you played on such a short term, and then, you, you know, you came back and you were able to take care of the basketball in game two last night. And, uh, you know, survive kind of a pedestrian three-point shoot night and still win the basketball game because the mid-range jumpers and the offensive rebounds certainly benefited Golden State. Now, you do a three-hour show uh, in Houston every day, Monday through Friday. What, what, what's the mood like in Houston after game one with everything that went on as far as the officiating and then the 48-minute the report leaks and you have the Sam Amick story? Uh, yeah. with, with the Rockets going back, you know, years with the officials and in particular to Game 7 in the series last year. But what was the mood like in Houston coming off of Game 1? And then how did that shift maybe after Game 2 now being down 0-2? All right, so Monday's show was three hours about officiating. Tuesday's show was three hours about officiating. Today's show, ironically <laughs> enough, zero minutes about officiating. So there was a blessing of what happened last night. It was the fact that the three gentlemen that were calling the game, there was no controversy on that except for the fact that uh, Ed Molloy's technicals that he gave to Nene and to, to uh, Draymond were rescinded. Um, I don't think the report from last year gained a lot of steam, at least Houston-wise. I think probably nationally it did. There were just a lot of folks, honestly, that were scared to death that Scott Foster was going to get sideways with Chris and James and, and Mike D'Antoni like they did earlier this year. You got to remember in Scott's case, he had not officiated a game since the first game after the All-Star break. We didn't see him in any of the Portland or the, any of the Utah games and none of the regular season games after that. So uh, I don't know if the NBA erred or made the wise decision about pushing him off of Rockets games, but, you know, it wasn't a factor yesterday, and I hopefully don't think it becomes much of a conversation piece of rest away because I don't know about you, but berating officials and talking about them and creating conspiracies for three hours a day on the radio show isn't the most entertaining thing in the world to do. Well, it's funny. You get the Warriors out here winning to the Rockets in Houston and their fan base losing to. And it's funny because the yesterday and Monday's shows, I think, were identical. They were three, were three hours about the officials and three hours about mm-hmm. the officials. Uh, basically, all day from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. was about the officials, even out here uh, in the Bay Area being on top of the action 1-0 at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, how many times have you ever had a conversation with your callers? Of, hey, let's talk about uh, how great Zach Zarba is, or hey, let's have a nice rundown of 
the cool parts of Ed Molloy's job. It's it's low hanging fruit, and in some cases, it's justifiable. The two minute report uh, it didn't make that crew on Sunday look very good. And no. when you are a, a team that feels like you're being shortchanged, it just kind of basically added fuel to the fire. And uh, I'm praying. I'm telling you, I, I want the Rockets to win desperately. I want Golden State to lose. I know this is going to be taboo for your audience, but I think 80% of America, maybe 90% want your squad to lose because you're the dragon, you're the dominant team, you're the dynasty. Uh, but at this point, unless the Rockets just do a better job of uh, boxing out, and they've never been a great rebounding team, but just don't don't let Golden State become this juggernaut on the offensive glass. Don't, you know, you got to figure out a way to make Draymond Green you slip through and get that pick and roll going and get the lobs going. That was such a big part of the Rockets' offense. And you got to do a lot of what you did yesterday, and that was hit a lot of three-point shots. And just don't turn the ball over. Having a five- or six-minute bad stretch against a team that is wonderfully as talented and accomplished at Golden State, you're basically just, you know, digging your own grave. Mike D'Antoni hinted, Matt, last night that there are some things that he thinks the Rockets can do in the, the pick-and-roll game with Capella and the lob game because the Warriors have done a nice job against the lobs, and they've, they've forced – hardened into some bad passes, how much of that was affected by the eye injury and the vision. I mean, seeing him in that press conference last night, it, it, it didn't look good. I mean, he couldn't yeah. even look out into the crowd and up into the lights. Uh, we're really bothering him. He said, you know, that, that he could barely see even at that point, could barely see during the game. Do you, how, how much of the vision do you think was part of that, the, the trapping of the Warriors? I mean, what, what, what have you seen that the Warriors have done well against the Capella lob play because they've actually, I mean, Capella's destroyed them with that in a lot of games these last couple of years. Yeah, unfortunately it didn't happen much in last year's Western Finals, and we haven't seen it much in the first two here. Look, Draymond is just, as, and it's not, he's not underrated. He's properly rated as a defensive player. He's just, they're smart. They know where to go. The length of Kevin Durant, even Clay Thompson and his sneaky defense can get in there and cause some problems. Andre Iguodala is, you know, uh, you know, uh, just tremendous. I mean, for as old and as, you know, how much, you know, tires are, are, are you know, are, are working hard and, and all the plays that he's running, all the miles he's run, he just, they just know where to go. And they're smart. And they look at film and they figure it out. And I think Mike D'Antoni being the great mastermind offensively that he is, will figure it out because they've, they've got to be able to use that. If the, I mean, the Rockets already shoot a boatload of threes to begin with. They can't shoot 10 or 15 more if the lane becomes gone because, this the percentages are going to tell you they're going to miss, you know, 60% of those attempts. If they get to 40, it's a great sign. But that means also that if you're shooting a lot more threes, you're going to get a lot of transition baskets. And we saw that a boatload of times last night. Long threes, outlet running pass, guess what? Easy layup for Golden State. And there's nothing more infuriating as a Rocket fan or somebody calling the game that Eric Gordon misses a three, long rebound. You see Steph on the chase. You know, Clay will throw a long-distance pass down there, and he pops a three. It's a, it's a six-point swing in about 15 seconds, and that's what just gets at you when you try to play Golden State is they just take advantage of every one of your missed shots or missed opportunities. So I hope Michael figure it out. He's one of the best masterminds in the history of NBA as an offensive coach, and thankfully between that and the, uh, the calendar, it'll give James a chance to rest because that I, you know, hopefully near 100%. And then, obviously, Mike have an opportunity to get with Clinton, figure out a way to, to let that be a component of the offense. Matt, I want to give you an unpleasant hypothetical for for yourself and, and for the folks at Houston. Let, but I'm but I'm not going to go. It's not going to be a total troll job here. Let's say the Rockets lose this series in six games. So let's say they win a couple of games 
and then the Warriors end up taking them out in six games. What's next for the Houston Rockets if they, again, can't get over the hump, can't slay the Dragon? Well, Clint's lo- uh, Clint is locked in. James is heart, uh, locked in. Chris is locked in. Eric Gordon's got a year left. I think P.J. Tucker's got one more. You tell me. Uh, I mean, there's, it's not like there's a lot of money for the Rockets sitting around. Now, if there's anybody in the NBA that maneuvers draft picks and the salary more than the Houston Rockets, I'd like to know. So we will use, we being the Rockets, will use first-round trade chips to, to, to maybe help deals, broker deals. And I'm just telling you, without giving you a completely generic answer, don't sit on Daryl Morey. He's always been able to figure out convenient ways to guy, for guys to jump on this basketball team. Yeah. Think about this. Rockets were 11-14 and 14 in 13th place in the West. Carmelo Anthony's here. It didn't turn out very well. He goes and gets Austin Rivers off the scrap heap. Kenneth Fareed, Amon Shumpert, Daniel House is on a G League team. This is the reason why this team got as good as it did second half of the season. So, um, again, I, I don't mean to speak in generics, but, I, you know, the big cogs, the main go-to pieces are locked and loaded. There isn't a whole lot of salary cap space. You can go out and court somebody. But I wouldn't sleep on Daryl Morey trying to roll up his sleeves and try something different because I just think they notice the Rockets. One thing they won't do is settle and go, oh, well, next year we'll play him again and we'll beat him. I don't think that's the philosophy of the organization right now. Yeah, and that's, that, that's kind of what I was getting at with Daryl Morey and, and his proclaimed obsession. And you know, would, would this be the, the time or the moment where he says, okay, this group isn't going to work. Not that you can't bring that group back, but you would have to add something dramatic to the fold, which obviously without salary cap space would mean some kind of trade or, or some kind of you know, bigger picture move to try and you know, upset the balance of power a little bit. Yeah, it's a great question um, because it hurts. This is going to be, you know, and again, I hope I'm not speaking ahead of myself here. I don't, it's I don't not over yet, Matt. It's not over yeah. yet. Listen to me pumping you up. Be, it'd be four times in six years, and that's tough. Right. And um, I think all of us in our life, whether it's a radio station competition or whether it's a battle at the sales office or it's a, a, a volleyball team that my daughter is playing on, when you can't beat a certain team, it gets to you. And then you just have to keep figuring away. But I have zero problem with Daryl Morey and the Rockets organization being obsessed with Golden State because guess what? You're the best. You've won three championships. Should have had four if not for Draymond and his little sign antics a couple of years ago. There's no reason why you don't want to beat the best and do what they do. So I hope Daryl, even if, we, if the Rockets fall in the series, still has that same philosophy. And I hope that you know, they'll continue to drive, even if they are able to overcome this 0-2 deficit. Because um, this team was built. Chris and the dollars. James and his dollars. Signing Clint Capella to a long-term team. This was not just to be a nice 50-win team and be in the mix. This was, we got to do everything in our human power to be the best. And that means beating the Golden State Warriors. And so far, it hasn't turned out that way at this point. Matt, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Safe travels uh, back to Houston, and we'll, we'll see you over the weekend. I'm headed out that way, so I'll make sure and say hi and uh, thank you in person. Please do, and just tell your audience, uh, like last year, I will be just as surly introducing Golden State like I was uh, in, the, in the Western Finals. So i got to get my A game. I love it. Dead, deadpan and surly. People, that's right. 19,000 people at Oracle. It's loud, and I, it's my responsibility to get people going. So whatever I can do to get as many boos for the starting five is what I'll be pleasure to do for the audience on Saturday night. We appreciate it. We respect it. Matt, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right, time for our Q&A portion of our Warriors Weekly Podcast for 95.7 The Game. John Dickinson 
taking questions via Twitter. Love doing this every couple of weeks, and I think it's a good point to do it in between games two and three of the Warriors Rockets Western semifinal series as there's a couple of off days and things will shift to Houston for games three and four. So let's get to the questions. As always, you can send them via Twitter at JD John Dickinson at JD John Dickinson and also uh, via email as well. J Dickinson at 957thegame.com. All right, let's get to question number one. It comes from Gloria Sanderson. Gloria, we appreciate the question here at 95.7 The Game. And Gloria asks, is Jordan Bell going to get any playing time in this series? And the simple answer, Gloria, would be yes. I, I think at some point he will get... Uh, a couple of minutes, although, boy, it sure doesn't look like it uh, at this point in time with Steve Kerr going to Draymond Green as a starter, playing significantly uh, Kevon Looney as a uh, backup center, and even Jonas Jerebko now seeing some time in an emergency situation when Stephen Curry went out and the Warriors were able to move Andre Iguodala to the point guard position. I, I, I don't think... You're going to see a lot from Bell if you see anything from him. He's someone that Steve Kerr just doesn't believe he can trust. Uh, And I I know he went to him last year almost out of necessity, an emergency type situation against the Rockets in the conference finals. And Bell actually played well. But there's been numerous times this season where Steve Kerr has tapped Jordan Bell on the shoulder and said, hey, we need you in a pinch. And Bell just hasn't responded in a positive light to the point where it just doesn't seem like he can be trusted. That happened in in game two uh, of the Clippers series when the Warriors blew the 31-point lead. He was thrown into that series, and I think Steve Kerr went to him to give him an opportunity, almost like, okay, are you ready? Uh, I'm going to give you a shot here to get your feet wet in this series to prove to me that you deserve more minutes throughout the playoffs, and he was awful in that game. And a a big part of uh, the Clippers' early stages of their long comeback but uh, foul trouble injury those two things still could be in play for the Warriors in this series and that may force Steve Kerr to go to Jordan Bell so I do think there is going to be one game let's say of the next handful where Jordan Bell actually does get a, a little four three four five minute run to where they can see what he can do uh, against a James Harden or against a a Chris Paul. All right, moving on to our next question, and we have uh, one from Steven. Steven in Vallejo. The Warriors have been great on the boards and points in the paint. Do you think that's a key the next two or three games if this series goes four or maybe five games? I think it's a huge key, and I think the Warriors – Really, the hustle game overall has been where the Warriors have won this series. Offensive rebounding, creating extra possessions, getting to loose balls, uh, and yeah, attacking. I think points in the paint, not only that the Warriors have scored, but I also think the defense in the paint has been critical in this series. And you, you just look at Draymond Green, Draymond Green's game on either end of the court. Draymond Green getting the basketball in his hands with opportunities to make lob passes to Kevon Looney or to Andre Iguodala, uh, and he's taking advantage of that. And he's 
teeing it up for those two guys to dunk it down. The Warriors have had a better lob game than the Rockets have in the first couple of games of this series. And that's that's pretty remarkable when you think about what a big portion of what the Rockets do is the lob game to Clint Capella. So Draymond has defended it well. The Warriors have defended it well. Kevin Durant has defended it well. They've, they've sent a little bit of, of a weak side shade uh, as far as whoever the baseline defender is on the weak side. They've had that player, and Clay Thompson did this brilliantly in Game 2, almost shade over uh, when James Harden uh, will start to drive and the and the you know, Clint Capella will roll to the basket and Clay Thompson's almost reading it at the perfect time, almost like a, a safety reading the eyes of a quarterback and timing his ability to get over and help on the play. Kevin Durant's done that a couple of points in the series. So to me, it's it's defense in the paint in addition to easy buckets. And look, the difference between these two teams is the fact that the Warriors are comfortable in the mid-range. The Warriors are comfortable taking twos. The Rockets don't want to take twos unless they're layups or unless they're getting two free throws. Uh, so I think the Warriors' more versatile and open-minded game uh, in this series has helped them out uh, as well, and that's the reason they have the 2 nothing series advantage. Uh, let's keep it moving. At Chango Kid, at Chango Kid, Checking in here on Twitter, Warriors Weekly Podcast Q&A session, John Dickinson, 95-7 the game, uh, at Chango Kid on Twitter. JD, with Steph being a more aggressive defender, do you foresee him getting uh, a defensive reputation and getting more of the benefit of the doubt like a, a Pat Beverly or like the, the Boston Celtics Uh thus elevating his game. Look, I don't think Stephen Curry's ever going to be a, a defensive stopper, but there are certain players he can hold his own against, and, and, and James Harden at times is, is somebody that he can hold his own against. Lou Williams is somebody at times that Stephen Curry can hold his own against. Uh, defenders that maybe aren't uh, as quick, uh, a little bit more plotting uh, defenders, he... he uh, does a decent job against, certainly a better job against those players than the players with the blow-by quickness that are just trying to get by you, get to the rim, get by you, kick out for three-pointers. But I I don't see Stephen Curry ever getting a defensive reputation, uh, but he has been more aggressive defensively. I thought, you know, there there were a couple of plays when he had five fouls in game one where he played excellent defense. Uh, you know, there's Eric Gordon, another type of a player where if Gordon's going to be out on the perimeter, Stephen Curry can can get out on him and hold his own because I think Curry is stronger than he looks defensively. It's just where the quickness sometimes can be a little bit of a problem. But no, I, I think I think the reaching is something that's always plagued Stephen Curry at times. I think it's plagued him in his playoffs. Uh, but no, I don't see. Stephen Curry getting a a defensive reputation really at at any point uh, in his career on the level of a a Pat Beverly uh, or others throughout the uh, NBA. Paul Dillon checks in. Paul Dillon checks in uh, via Twitter. And again, our Warriors Weekly Podcast, 95.7 The Game. John Dickinson with you here. Our thanks to Matt Thomas, a Rockets broadcaster, play-by-play man on the road. He's the PA voice of the Toyota Center 
for the home games. So you'll hear him uh, in the background making the calls as far as the starting lineups and uh, the baskets and the fouls and everything. So check out Matt Thomas as you're watching Game 3 and Game 4 over the weekend in Houston. Paul checks in. I want to know what adjustments the Rockets can make to counter the dubs taking away the Capella lob game. Multiple guys crashing the boards, yet the Warriors hustle back uh, to the perimeter so well, and they'll do that more to get Steph and Clay's three games going. Uh, I, I Look, the, the mentioned it just a few minutes ago, the, the job that the, the Warriors have done against the lob game. I, I think what it amounts to is it amounts to the Rockets, and Mike D'Antoni alluded to this after game two, with a little bit of a gleam in his eye, almost like, okay, if the Warriors are going to play it this way, then we're going to do this. And I wasn't totally sure what he meant by that, but in reviewing the game, I, I think what it really comes down to is decisiveness. If Draymond Green is going to come out and show, but also time it and space it to where he can still get back to his man, it's going to be on James Harden or Chris Paul to just drive and force the defender, the first defender to 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 defend. Uh, and, and it also... Uh, if the weak side defender on the baseline is going to come over and shade, then a decisive move from a Chris Paul or a James Harden and then a, a kick pass to the corner uh, for that corner three where you get the Warriors defense maybe in a little bit of a scramble where somebody's cheating toward the inside, almost like a, a safety like Clay Thompson did in game two of the series, breaking up a a big play as Harden tried to hit Clint Capella. So to me, it comes down to more decisiveness from Harden and from Chris Paul when they have the basketball in their hands and forcing the Warriors defender to commit, basically commit to the commit to Capella, commit to me, the dribbler, one or the other. And I think if he, if, if Draymond commits more to Capella, that opens up the floater game. I think if Draymond comes out and, and again, shows on Harden as he's driving to set up the lob, then I think there's two things in play. I, I think there's the actual pass to Capella at that point. But again, if the Warriors are going to shade, then there's the, the kick out to the corner and a wide open corner three, or uh, you get the Warriors defense moving around a little bit and that can set up a, a drive by the corner man. And then that can lead to maybe Capella getting the ball uh, on the other side or getting the ball on a lob uh, from a, a different position. So I, I think it's all about decisiveness uh, as far as those two players go. But the Warriors, Paul, they have played it absolutely brilliantly uh and to your point about the hustle game uh and the warriors crashing the boards i mean that's that's trying to expose an area of weakness for this rockets team and the warriors have absolutely done that uh throughout the first couple of games in this series uh one final question here and i think this is a good one watching the nuggets blazers series uh roll on and i think that's a, a series that's that's destined for six or seven games. I actually wouldn't be surprised, although I originally picked Portland in six because I think Denver is going to have a tough time winning in Portland in this series. Uh, although they did win a game in San Antonio, and I know Denver and San Antonio are the best home records uh, in the Western Conference throughout the season. Uh, but I, So I think that's a terrific series. It's one that might go seven. It's one that if the Warriors wind up, let's say, taking care of the Rockets in five, 
they may find themselves in a position where they have five, six days off uh, looking toward a conference final series. So it all really, if the Warriors get through the Rockets, who figure to be their toughest challenge, it all really could add up in a positive manner as far as setting up the second half of this Warriors playoff run. But uh, the question, assuming the dubs move on, who do you think they will play in the Western Conference Finals? Which team do you think is the better matchup? Uh, And this one again from Steven, uh, I want Portland and to see Dame play in Oracle one last time. I think that's... That is probably the best storyline individually that any opponent can have between Denver and Portland coming into Oracle Arena. That said, I think Portland's the more difficult matchup. Damian Lillard's on a mission. C.J. McCollum's a nice player. And the one thing about the Blazers, I know they haven't beaten the Warriors because they haven't been the better team when these two have faced each other in the playoffs going back uh, over the last few years a couple of times. The Warriors are the better team, but the, the Blazers are very comfortable. Blazers are very comfortable playing against the Warriors. Damian Lillard's comfortable playing against the Warriors. I think offensively, the Blazers believe they can get some things done against Golden State consistently. Where, where the issues have come into play is defensively. The Blazers just haven't been able to stop the Warriors consistently enough. And it's been one of those series where if Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry aren't rolling then they just haven't had any kind of answer for Kevin Durant. It's a shame if Portland winds up being the opponent, that Yusuf Nurkic, who is having his best season as a pro, wouldn't be in that series. That that really is a shame. The Blazers are in a spot where this could be the first time that they get to a conference final with this group. It's a group that I think many have, have thought, all right, you got to break up CJ and Lillard. You got to break them up. You got to you got to send them you know, one player one way. You can't win. You can't go far with these guys. You can't make a finals. You can't even make a conference finals with this group. And it looks like just by virtue of the way the bracket shook out this year, they're going to have a chance. To, to get to a conference finals, but they're going to do it and then they aren't going to be whole. Ennis Cantor has been very good for them. Harkless and Aminu have been very good for them. And the Blazers are a little bit deeper with Rodney Hood, who always tends to give the Warriors problems coming off the bench. They're more active, uh, I think, uh, as far as some of their bench players go. Collins and, and they've got Seth Curry coming off. But uh, I think Portland, just with Lillard on a mission, playing a a final couple of games in Oakland, I think that would be a great storyline. But I also think that's the reason why they would be a tougher matchup for the Golden State Warriors because Lillard is a a man on a mission. Denver, uh, well, I love Denver the city. I'd love to get back to Denver uh, in in a conference finals. Uh, I think you saw what that matchup would be like the last three matchups head-to-head in January when the Warriors went in there and beat them by 30, put a 50-point first quarter on them, uh, and then the two blowouts basically at Oracle Arena, one in March and one in early April. Uh, the Nuggets just, uh, you know, they would be happy to be there to me. And, and they've already justified their entire season just by getting out of the first round. I think it's great experience for them to play what should be a hard-fought series against Den- or against Portland, rather. And if they make it out, it's just house money galore for the Denver Nuggets uh, and a, a tremendous experience. But I, I, I don't see that series 
going more than than five games and I actually think that's a series that the Warriors because the Nuggets could be a little bit overwhelmed by the level of play in a conference final I think that's a series that the Warriors actually could wind up sweeping in a conference final Portland I would give Portland a shot to win two games. I really would. Uh, if if the Warriors, and, and they wanted Oracle, I know when the Warriors were shorthanded, uh, going back in late December, and Damian Lillard hit the game-winning three, and that was a game, one of those the Warriors let slip away. Uh, and then Portland beat the Warriors the night before the All-Star break up in Portland in a game where Golden State just completely melted down down the stretch of that game. And you had Steve Kerr throw his clipboard and get ejected. Emotional, emotional affair. Uh, that'll be a fun series. That's a great place to see games. That's a great, fun atmosphere to play in uh, up in Portland. And I know their crowd would be riled up. That'd be the first conference finals for the Blazers going back to, what, 2000? 2000 when they they took on the Lakers and they they came back after being down 3-1 had a huge lead in game seven and then the Lakers wound up coming back themselves in game seven to go on to the NBA finals and and win the championship that first championship for Shaq and Kobe going back to 2000 but yeah I, I think Portland would be the tougher matchup and I also think Portland has the better storyline as far as Damian Lillard coming back to Oakland uh, in, in what would be his final games in Oakland, obviously, with Oracle Arena being shut down and the Warriors moving into San Francisco. All right. Great questions. As always, if you want to get a question in, you're listening to the pod at J.D. John Dickinson. I'm going to do this every couple of weeks uh, here. Uh, probably we'll do it again right before the conference finals. Maybe even after the first couple of games of the conference finals, uh, depending upon other things that we have lined up. But appreciate the questions as always and appreciate you listening to our Warriors weekly podcast for 95.7 The Game. This was a production of the 95.7 The Game podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.